The year is 1958, and you're one of 15,000 people gathered along the boardwalk in River Rogue, Michigan, to watch the commissioning and launching of the largest... Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply freighter to ever touch the Great Lakes, the SS Edmund Fitzgerald. This ship was an engineering marvel that had cost the company that built it $7 million in 1958, which, adjusted for inflation, is around $55 million, and it was a big deal. The industry of moving ores around the Midwest, especially on the Great Lakes, was popping at the time, and this was going to be a fantastic investment for the company that had built it. The community was excited because oftentimes the jobs on board were relatively high paying compared to your options on shore and it provided stability for the economies of entire towns. Regardless, over 15,000 people showed up to watch this boat get launched, and it was an amazing 729 feet long and weighed over 13,000 tons, so it was basically like watching a building get thrown in the water and then it floats. It got the nickname Queen of the Lakes, and it held on to that for two years until a larger ship was launched, but even after that ship was launched, it was still known as a very large ship on the lakes and had a prestige attached to it. And from 1958 until 1975, things were relatively good for the boat. It did its job, it made profit, and there was a few incidents that we need to address, but nothing too insane. In 1969, they received an award, actually, for safety for operating for eight years straight without anything. Later that year, though, they uh, messed up that award and ran aground on accident. A year later, there was another incident when they collided with another ship. Later that year, they ended up accidentally hitting the wall of a lock, did that two more times, and then in 1974, they lost their anchor in the Detroit River. And all of these are obviously mistakes, and it's, like, ironic that it came right after they got a safety award, but none of these incidences were anything that anyone would look at and be like, oh, the ship's falling into massive disrepair that could lead to catastrophic failure. It was just accidents that might happen when a boat is constantly going around from job to job, from lock to lock, like things are bound to bump into each other, there's bound to be accidents. 
All of these accidents aside, there was one fateful day where the accident was so bad nothing was recovered, and that was November 9th, 1975. So that day, the Edmund Fitzgerald was in Wisconsin, and it ended up getting loaded up with some steel, and it was going to go from up in the top of Wisconsin and Superior all the way down over to Detroit to drop off these pellets. And it was like under load, obviously, when it's all the way full, it moves a little bit slower. So they ended up getting up to speed, which its top speed was 16 miles per hour. So nothing to like, you know, write home about. That is moving insanely fast for the weight of the vessel, but they got up to speed relatively quickly. And so they're cruising for about three hours. And about three hours later at 5 p.m., they ended up kind of coming under the command of this second freighter and like joining up with them and we're just gonna cruise for a little bit together just because it felt a little bit safer to have another boat with you and they were checking the weather forecast and there was nothing crazy there was uh, a prediction that there was going to be a little bit of a storm at like 7 a.m the next morning but even then the storm was going to be nothing that was going to like destroy these boats these were huge freighters you know they could handle a lot they'd been on the lakes for a long time they'd seen a lot both of them had experienced captains it wasn't like none of them knew what they were doing but unfortunately weather technology was not as good as it is today and that's not a knock on them they were working with what they had and the technology in the 70s was like starting to become modernized but it just was a little bit behind it wasn't always 100% accurate and by the time other ships were leaving the port that the Edmund Fitzgerald had just left their weather radar was saying that there was going to be a massive storm very soon across the lake and so a lot of these ships ended up adjusting their course to like avoid this storm because they knew it was going to be a bad one and one ship actually picked up some of the radio conversation between the Fitzgerald and the ship that it was with, the Arthur M. Anderson, and they were kind of talking about how they were going to have to maybe adjust their trip a little bit because it looked like the storm was getting worse. And at around 7 p.m. that night, there was a warning for the whole of Lake Superior basically saying that the weather was going to get insane. It's called a gale warning. And at this point, things started to get bad, like, on the ship. The conditions would have started to dramatically worsen. And the Arthur M. Anderson and the Edmund Fitzgerald started moving their course to try to avoid the worst of the storm, trying to get near the shore to kind of, like, buffer them from the worst of it. And by the time 1 a.m. rolls around, it's been this ginormous storm. Well, it turns into a winter storm. So not only have they had the worst luck possible, but it just gets worse. And winds get up to, like, 60 miles per hour. Waves are 10 feet high on this lake, just smashing into these boats that are loaded with steel. And the ships, which already aren't going insanely quickly, have to reduce their speed because of the conditions. They can't even chug along at 16 miles per hour in these conditions, or like the boat's going to tear itself apart. But every time that they slow down, it just means that they're going to be stuck in this storm for longer and longer. And a little bit after 1 a.m. with all this craziness going on, the ships have to split off from each other because they just can't stay next to each other. Like, it's just too hard in the conditions and the adjustment of speeds for them to stay together. So the Arthur M. Anderson and the Edmund Fitzgerald have to split ways if they're both going to be able to make it out of here. And it's probably just not safe to have ships that close together in super choppy conditions. And at around 2 a.m., the storm gets even worse. By this point, the ships have been forced to split up due to, like, the speed differences. And uh, the Anderson officially just loses sight of the Fitzgerald altogether. You know, they had tried to at least keep each other in sight, but the Fitzgerald goes over 16 miles away, and it just loses sight of it, and the storm isn't letting up. And the storm has been going all through the night. 
it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. It's now well into the afternoon the next day at like 3 p.m. ish when the Anderson loses sight of the Edmund Fitzgerald. And it's really unknown what occurs in between 3 and 3.30 just because, like I said, no one really could see the Edmund Fitzgerald. But at 3.30, the captain of the Edmund Fitzgerald starts contacting the captain of the Anderson and says that the Fitzgerald is taking on water, that they had lost two vent covers, a bunch of stuff was missing, and also that the vessel was starting to list, which is not a very good sign. And basically, there was a bunch of bilge pumps that were continuously trying to discharge water, which meant that they were taking on water constantly. And he said that his best bet was probably to slow down so that the Anderson could try to catch up and maybe perform like a rescue operation. So the Fitzgerald captain slows down the ship and is now in just pure survival mode, trying to somehow verify that like the boat's not going to sink. It's not looking good, but he's doing everything he can to at least keep it afloat till another boat is near them to perform like some type of rescue. And it's around this time that the Coast Guard officially did a bulletin and basically basically warned everybody that like everything was shutting down and they needed to seek anchorage immediately because this was a horrible storm. And so the Anderson's doing its best to catch up, but the captain of the Fitzgerald calls him again and says, hey, our radar is down now, so I don't even know where we are, so you need to help me keep track of where we are. And so the Anderson tries to get within like a 10-mile range so they could guide the Fitzgerald with their radar and help them out since their radar had become ineffective due to taking on water or whatever was going on with it. And so the Anderson is like keeping a relatively safe distance from this ship that's taking on water and they're trying to guide it into a bay so that way it would be a little bit more protected from the storm and they could get closer or whatever figure out what was going on the people could swim to shore at least they're not out in the middle of the lake even then it's a long shot because the great lakes can be freezing and these storms are insane but you get the idea at least get them to a safer location and it's when they're getting towards the bay when mcsorley decides to contact the coast guard station and be like hey i really need a, a navigation beacon or something can you guys help us out a little bit? Here's the situation. It's not good. And the Coast Guard is like, yeah, we would love to help, but the storm's so bad that we're not even getting an indication that the equipment is active to help in the first place. And at this point, he just starts making distress signals from the Fitzgerald, asking for navigation aids, being like, hey, can somebody help me? I need help. I, I lost my radar. I can't see. It's like a whiteout condition. And another captain answers and says, the lighthouse should be on. Like, there should be the physical light. It's just the radar beacon that's gone down to the storm. But they can't see the light, so it doesn't necessarily help their navigation situation. Like, they're still kind of stuck. And at that point, McSorley comes over the radar, or radio, excuse me, and says, I have a bad list. I've lost all my radars. I'm taking on a lot of water. These are the absolute worst conditions that I've ever seen on the lakes in my entire career. And this guy had had a long career as a captain. He's like, this is a very bad situation. And at this point, the storm had gotten so bad that the wind was just a consistent 60 miles per hour at multiple parts across the lake. People were recording that the winds were just that high consistently. And so the waves are getting insane. We thought the 10-foot waves from the night before were bad. Now the waves are getting up to 25 feet. 
In fact, there's some rogue waves whenever there's a big gust of wind that are coming in like 35 feet tall. It's coming over the ship and kind of slamming down with that type of force. And at 7 p.m. that night, the Arthur Anderson tries to contact the Fitzgerald and let them know what's going on and see how they're doing. And the captain reports that they're holding on. And that's the last time anyone ever hears from this ship. There's not a distress signal. There's not a mayday, mayday. Like, obviously, they had been trying to communicate and ask for help, but there was never a, we're really going down right now. It was always that, we're listing, we're taking on water, but we're still floating. And about 10 minutes after that last communication, the Anderson, which was nearby for this entire process, just completely loses the ability to contact them on radio or even see them on the radar. So, obviously, something happened in between that last communication and those 10 minutes where it just dropped beneath the uh, surface of the water in the lake. And so, after after this, the Arthur Anderson does what most people would probably do and contacts the Coast Guard, and the Coast Guard literally replies and is like, hey, you're using the emergency line, call back on a different one so we can keep the emergency channel open. And so the Arthur Anderson, after being told to call back on the other line, is like, alright, I'll just call them that way later. So he contacts another vessel up water to kind of see what's going on, and that vessel says, yeah, I can't see the Fitzgerald on the radar either. So at this point, he knows that it's not just their radar. Radar, like the Edmund Fitzgerald is gone so he keeps trying to get in contact with the Coast Guard and he doesn't really get through for like another 15 minutes and so at that point they're at least communicating and the officer of the Coast Guard lets him know that there's another ship missing so he should keep his eye out and another 30 minutes go by and at this point Captain Cooper's starting to get annoyed and he calls in and he's like look I'm reporting the Edmund Fitzgerald missing it's really gone like we need some help out here and at 9.03 it finally gets reported missing and what's really frustrating is like reading about this there's a petty officer who testified that he considered it serious at the time but not urgent which is really sad because the water's freezing like if there is a chance to rescue anybody you've got to do it pretty quickly it's not a very forgiving environment especially during a winter storm so the fact that they took you know two hours to even report it missing probably didn't help who knows if they would have been able to rescue anyone the, the conditions were horrible either way but you know it is frustrating that it took two hours for them to even report it missing and so they very quickly realize that the Coast Guard doesn't have any rescue vehicles to really go help search and rescue so they actually asked the Anderson to go look for survivors and then at 10:30 p.m. they asked all vessels to go help and search and look for survivors survivors. In two ships, the Anderson and the William Clayford, they were able to go and look for survivors. Unfortunately, they didn't find any. And it's not that other ships didn't want to try. The storm was just so bad that even some of them that made the effort to try to go look just couldn't get there because the conditions were so bad. And nearing 11 p.m., there was finally some search planes. A, a helicopter came in at 1 a.m. and helped look. There was Canadian Coast Guard aircraft helping too. And so for three days, they were looking for survivors, whether it be life rafts, life jackets, whatever it is. But like I said, unfortunately, all 29 crew members are suspected to have passed away when the ship sank. They did find some stuff. They found debris. They found lifeboats. They found rafts. It was just that there was nobody on board when they did find them. And like I said, tragically, 29 was the uh, final crew count that ended up very, very sadly losing their life on the Edmund Fitzgerald. It took them just a few days to end up locating the wreck. They actually located it by using magnetic anomalies to like detect that there was a bunch of metal at this spot at the bottom of the lake. And they did go investigate it with unmanned submersible vehicles. And what they found was that the Edmund Fitzgerald had split in half and was laying in two large pieces at the bottom of the water. 
And while obviously no one who witnessed it was around to really tell the story of it, it's assumed that it broke up on the surface and then sank. Obviously, it is possible that it hit the bottom and then broke into two sections as well, or like broken half on the way down. But considering that there had been other wrecks on Lake Michigan and Lake Superior, just the Great Lakes in general previously, where ships had split in half, whether it be from a rogue, ra rogue wave or just the way that they were constructed, it had happened before, so it is the most likely theory that a rogue wave or something came and hit the ship that was already not doing that well and just caused the stress to be too much where it split and sank. There are other theories as to how the ship sank. No matter how you look at it, though, it was a catastrophic failure where the ship just took on water, took on rogue waves. It was probably a combination of many factors. That's just my stupid opinion. I don't really know anything, though. I'm not a giant historian. I like this stuff. It's interesting to me, but, like, I don't have a degree in it. As for what happened to the crew's families, uh, there was a settlement reached with some of the family members and the company. Obviously, it doesn't really make up for the fact that you lost your loved one on a shipwreck. There's not really, like, a dollar amount that you could attach to that. However, one good thing that did come out of this is there was a lot of safety practices that were changed on the Great Lakes for all shipping just to make sure that something like this was as little likelihood of happening again as humanly possible. So they made sure that every ship had to have certain amounts of like gross register tons, they had to use depth finders, there was survival suits that were kept on board now because the water's so cold that if you don't have a survival suit then good luck. On top of it, their workstations, they all had survival gear if they were to fall over, so like strobe lights, life jackets, survival suits, everything you would need in case of an emergency. There was a, a GPS system, like a prototype uh, before GPS was really a thing that was implemented to kind of keep track of all the ships. And then there was also emergency radio beacons that were immediately put on everything just so that way they could figure out exactly where it was in case of an emergency, because that's what a lot of this boiled down to is, yeah, we think it's over here, we're watching it on radar, oh, it's gone, like there was just such... A problem finding out exactly where the ship was so they wanted to make sure that that was never a problem again they went through and updated all the charts for the lakes and uh, they also went and did a lot of revising for wave heights because obviously like there's an average wave but when these gusts of winds get going especially on the great lakes these rogue waves yeah it can get 40 feet tall and dumping that onto a ship is not great for it and overall they did a, a lot of changes that were good for the safety of every crew member on every ship after the fact. It's sad that it took something like this for it to happen, but from now on, people were safer after that. There's still memorials to the crew to this day as well. There's uh, Edmund Fitzgerald Memorial at the point where it sank. There's bells on display in the Shipwreck Museum, and the original anchor that was lost in the Detroit River is now on display as well. And even the Royal Canadian Mint ended up making a coin with the Edmund Fitzgerald, so it is still talked about. It's, it's something that if you're from the Great Lake region, you've probably heard about before. But that is the story of the SS Edmund Fitzgerald. Hope y'all enjoyed amateur history class.